Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. You know, um, it's cliche to say it by now, but I'm going to say it anyway. What a strange year. What a strange and challenging and difficult and ambiguous and impossible to make decisions kind of year. Uh, there's been um, so many memes online. Sometimes I, I like will just scroll through my, my social media feed to, to have, try to add a little bit of humor to what has been a historically challenging year. And I'll look at different memes. Uh, there's, one, there's ones that like say the, my plans for 2020 and then what actually happened. There's one of my favorites. It's got this picture of this car. It's parked. It says, my plans. And then you cut to the next photograph and the car has been crushed by like a dumpster or something that fell out of the sky. And it's like, they're wrecked. My, uh, this is the real 2020. My plans were one way. 2020 had a different idea. The, there's these memes all over the place. Uh, here's another one. I hope it shows up okay on your screen. Uh, we used to get the New York Times, the actual physical paper. Yes, we read it on paper in the mail. This is from a few months ago. This is the actual physical paper. It's not an accident, though most of the page looks blank. It's printed like this on purpose, the Sunday review section. You have the headline and all the letters, and they've fallen. It looks like they've fallen to the bottom. And there you have the headline. And what does it say? It says, the world is broken. Uh, So even something as serious as the New York Times is memeing 2020 in a way. And, you know, the, the point is this. This has been a strange kind of year. And here we are at the end of it. There are thousands of these kinds of memes. And implicit to so many of them is this idea, like, if we could just get through 2020. Right? If it, would this year just end already? It would 2021 just start already? Right? This is the implicit idea in a lot of how we think about, about, these, about what's happened in 2020, about the challenges and how we look forward to something different. We're like, will this year just end? Well, it's uh, kind of silly whenever I say it out loud, but isn't it true that you know, just the simple turning of a calendar page or the pixels changing on your, on your phone calendar from 2020 to 2021 it's not what's going to be different, right? It's not going to change. Political uh, harmony is not suddenly going to be happening. Um, Racial injustices aren't suddenly going to be overcome. Natural disasters aren't suddenly going to stop. The pandemic isn't suddenly going to be over. And so when I say it out loud, merely saying, can 2020 just end already? Uh, When I say it out loud that the mere arbitrary change of a calendar date, when, when the clock strikes midnight, it's not going to make that big of a difference. Nothing's going to change. Here we are. Here we are. We've been looking for it all year. Can 2020 just end? And here we are at the end of the year, right? And so I'm just going to ask, well, what is going to be different when the clock strikes midnight and it's 2021? What will really be different? We can look out, I, I, you know, I can look out even, uh, in, in my own life, I can see these things, and I can look out into the rest of the world, and I can see all of these postures, these ways that people approach the challenges of 2020. And one of the ways, some of the ways that they've done that, the, these postures, they can, they can finger point, like blame other people or other groups, like if they just would have, they can finger wag, they can scold and shame. I can do this, <laughs> 
You can, you can give the middle finger, if, if you will. You can just say, to heck with all of this, let it burn. You can cross your fingers, just wish, wish it away. You know, there's a, here in Chicago, we see great street art all over the place. There's also lousy street art all over the place. But there's a graffiti kind of sign, a banner that's not too far from our apartment. I walk by it occasionally. It's just kind of in this abstract way. It's got fingers crossed, uh, painted, and then the lettering says, come on, fate do your thing. And, and what a great summary statement of how so many people are approaching, have approached the posture with which they've approached the challenges of 2020. You know, we've tried everything else, so now it's just kind of this vague call out to the universe, come on, fate, do your thing. It's got to get but something, just chances are, it's got to get better than this, right? Now, I want to ask the question, 2021 is just around the corner. I want to ask the question, is there a better posture than finger-pointing, finger-wagging, giving the middle finger, crossing your fingers? Is there a better posture to life, a better approach to how to do life, especially in times of difficulty or in times of ambiguity, in times of historic strangeness? Is there a better approach than these very natural approaches? The answer is yes. I've given the answer away right at the top of the message. The answer is yes. We're going to look at a a very well-known encounter with Jesus. So well-known, it's recorded uh, in three different places in the Bible. Uh, We're going to look at the account that is found in Mark. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Mark chapter 10. Verses 13 through 16. Now, sometimes uh, Pastor D or Pastor Steve asks you to stand while we read. I know we're spread out all over the place. We're watching this on a screen. I'm still going to ask you to stand uh, as we read Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. It says this, And they, people, were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to his disciples, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them into his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is God's word. This is a a very well-known passage among Christians and among non-Christians. Even Jesus, who is famous, infamous for his unusual encounters with people and how how they became life-changing for different people, even by Jesus' standards, this is a strange encounter. It's unusual. It's singular. Here you have Jesus interacting with children and seizing the moment to teach something about children and about what it means to enter into Jesus's kind of kingdom, right? So you have here something that also flies in the face of what is a normal way, normal life approaches, normal ways to approach life, life in general, and particularly life in times of difficulty. Uh, perhaps you've heard, um, not, per, not perhaps, I know that you've heard people say uh, that there is basically no difference between the religions. At their, at their base, at their foundations, all religions, basically the same thing. They're about being good. They're about being kind. They're about doing the right thing. They're about finding your way. What, whatever, that, that, that basic idea, right? 
The Bible is filled with challenges to that idea. And here we have one of them. Listen, nobody, nobody said anything like this before Jesus, where he takes children into his arms and he points to them as the exemplar for how to do life. Nobody said that. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, the Christian Bible, in the Old Testament, those, those books and generations that preceded the life of Jesus, even in the Bible, there's no teaching like this. Nothing like this had existed. No uh, political le- uh, ruler, no religious teacher, no military leader. None of these guys said anything like what Jesus says here. This is singular. Jesus rebukes his disciples for wanting to protect his valuable time from these lowly children, and then he takes them and he points to the children and he speaks to the people and he says, these are the kind of people who enter into my kingdom. Now, what is it then about childlikeness that Jesus is referring to? Or more to the point, what is it about childlikeness that is so consequential that Jesus says, this is the way to the kingdom of God? These enter the kingdom. What are the qualities of a child that Jesus pronounces so essential? We're going to look at these qualities today, and we're going to be asking the question, is this a better approach to life? But a better approach to life in general, and particularly in times of difficulty. Uh, Before we talk about some of the qualities of of childlikeness, the characteristics of childlikeness, it's probably good to just start with what Jesus is not saying, what Jesus is not getting at. It's tempting to look at this story and to say, and to sentimentalize it. To, you know, we just came out of a Christmas season, one of the most sentimentalized seasons ever. Listen, I love Christmas. I, I love the Christmas movies. I love the Christmas lights. I love the time with the family. I love the food. I, I'm a sucker for Christmas time. It's great. But it is one of the most sentimentalized seasons. You know, you turn on Christmas movies and overwhelmingly they've got these vague, mushy, syrupy notions. What Christmas is all about is Christmas spirit and do-goodedness and stuff like that. And, you know, okay, fine. But it's so much less than what Christmas is actually about. God breaking into human history and, and writing, the author of everything, writing himself into the story that people might know who he is. That is so much more interesting than sentimental kind of view of Christmas spirit right? Well, we can do the same thing here with this passage. We can look at it, and we can see Jesus and the children, and we can just make it a sentimental, syrupy thing, like, isn't it cute? Isn't it quaint? Isn't it precious? Jesus holds the children. Isn't that lovely? And we miss what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, like, aren't children so innocent, right? What is it about childlikeness? He can't be saying, aren't children so innocent? Because Anyone who has taken a road trip or been on an airplane with a two-year-old knows that they are not so innocent, right? Anyone who has spent a day taking care of a toddler knows that they are not so humble. Toddlers are some of the most self-centered people in the world. Everything's about them. Everything's about them. It can't be that, that little children are so generous. I mean, one of the very first words that a kid learns, and not just, not just learns, not just repeats the sounds kind of mindlessly, no, like learns to exercise and execute, learns to apply is the word mine. So it can't be that children are so innocent, that they're so humble, that they're so generous. No, they're selfish, right? So what is it then about child 
uh, about children, about childlikeness that Jesus is referring to. Well, look again. Look again at the story. If you have your Bible there, look, look again at the story. It's right there in black and white. The disciples see people, see these caretakers bringing children to Jesus, and what do they do? They intervene. The disciples are not trying to be cruel. They're being reasonable. An in-demand personality like Jesus has limited time, and we need to distribute that time appropriately. We need to maximize his time with people of consequence. And right there, because of this, it's there in black and white, we can see what Jesus is getting at about children. They are of the lowest status. They're lowly status. Uh, it's interesting, Luke, uh, this, I mentioned this story is, meant, is uh, recorded, accounted for in three different places in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're reading the Mark account. In Luke, the word that Luke uses for children is, is one for babies, very, very small children. And here in Mark, we see caretakers or parents bringing, carrying children to Jesus. The, the idea is that some of these kids are really small. In other words, they can't even get to Jesus on their own unless somebody brings them. And then we have people asking Jesus for blessing. You know, we, we, we see this very traditional culture, even to today, traditional cultures have this idea of like an, an elder or a teacher or a person of significance laying on of hands confers blessing to that person. We see, so we see people carrying children to Jesus. The children can't get there on their own. And then when they're there, they don't know what to ask. Somebody else is asking for blessing for them. They can't arrive under their, lo- own locomo- uh, under their own locomotion. And when they're there, they don't even know what to ask for. And here we have the lowest of statuses, helplessness. What does Jesus mean when he talks about Children enter the kingdom of God. He's not talking about innocence. He's not talking about sentimentality. He's not talking about even something like humility or generosity. He's talking about these children are helpless. You know, when I fill out my my tax forms every year, it's like my favorite thing. Not really. But when I'm filling out those forms, there's even a question. It's written into the tax code. It says, who are your dependents? What does that mean? It means my children. Their tax term is dependence. They are helpless. They're dependent on someone else. Do you see? Now, my kids are getting older. I got two teens. I got a preteen. And and things change with time, and they grow, and they mature. But man, when they were tiny, they were utterly dependent on me and their mom. Totally dependent on us as a couple, raising them, guiding them. We were on a, a phone call or a Zoom call here with Renewal Church with the men's, uh, the men's group earlier this month. And one guy, we're just kind of spent some time going around, uh, giving, doing a little check-in, seeing how everybody's doing. One guy has just had a baby. He was like, man, the baby's awesome. It's great. It's awesome. But I'll be honest with you, it's a lot. Now, you know, what did he mean? He meant that baby is dependent on him every moment of every day. A parent of a small child is not only, it's not only providing for that child. He's actively out in front of the child, preventing the kid from hurting himself. It's locking the cabinets. It's keeping the kid from slamming his hand in the car door. It's turning, it's putting guards on the stove. It's putting guards in the outlets. It's all, it's thousands and thousands of things. The kid is dependent. That guy on our Zoom call I won't use his name, but he fell asleep during the Zoom call 
and we just all kind of like laughed at him sleeping there while we were talking. But you know what? It's because he was exhausted. He was wiped out taking care of his dependent. This is what Jesus is teaching. And it's no wonder. It's no wonder that no, there was no religious great philosophical teacher that came before him that taught this. Teach the value of helplessness? Are you kidding me? This is not a popular notion. There are not thousands of helplessness books on Amazon. There are thousands of self-help books on Amazon. Willpower, strength, know-how. These are the cultural watchwords. This is the way that these are the values of a person who gains audience with someone of consequence. Do you see? Jesus is saying something totally contrary to how we tend to approach life. He's, he's identifying and elevating this value, this state, the status of helplessness in children. And he says, look at that. To such as these belongs the kingdom of God. D.T. Niles is a scholar was a scholar and a pastor. He served in Sri Lanka. At the time, it was known as Ceylon. Served in Sri Lanka for decades. He, he, he wrote uh, a couple of books that were published and, and found wide audience, published by Western uh, publishing houses, uh, found wide audience. It's, it's interesting, when he was preaching and teaching and leading churches, here's a Sri Lankan pastor, overwhelmingly, when he's talking to people about Christianity, who are not yet Christians, he's talking to Buddhists, to Muslims, or to Hindus. But as his ministry went on, he noticed this other group of people that was a growing group of people, and he wrote a book about it, and it was, it was published. It was called The Stumbling Stone. And he said, there's this other group of people, and for the first time in human history, or in, since the beginning of Christianity, so for 2,000 years, every time we talk to somebody who's not a Christian about Christianity, we're starting with this baseline where they're coming from some kind of religion. They're coming with some kind of presupposition that there is a deity out there or deities, and I need something outside of myself to save me. And so Christianity is introducing the better deity, the loving father, right, to, the, to, that, to a Buddhist, to a Hindu, to a Muslim, to a number of other folk religions. But there's this new person who doesn't even recognize their need for salvation at all. And as a, as a matter of fact, this is according to D.T. Niles, this, this stumbling stone, this person might actually think that what the world needs saving from is this old stodgy notion that, it, that people need saving. And his point is this. It, it, it's, it's clear that the idea, the very idea of helplessness runs contrary to the zeitgeist of our culture, to the, to the normal way that people are approaching life. So much so that the... That, Thinking of yourself as hopeless might even be offensive. Like, that might be the problem. This is what D.T. Niles says. And his, he wrote this, this, believe it or not, in the 1950s. This Sri Lankan pastor writing this prophetic word where he saw this globalizing world going. People would begin to question even the idea that they would need to be saved at all. That is the opposite of the kind of helplessness that Jesus singles out here and says, this, dependence, helplessness, that thing is the first step into entering into the kingdom of God. 
Much more could be said about the status of helplessness. Um, helplessness means uh, it, it means that everything a child has learned has been taught. <laughs> it means everything a child has received has been given. This is the idea of what helplessness means. Everything a child has learned has been taught. Everything a child has received has been given. And I, I love, there's a story from a friend, uh, not a friend, I wish he was a friend of mine, from somebody who I look up to. All of his recordings, many of his recordings of sermons are online. His name is Dick Lucas. He's uh, preached for decades in the UK. He tells a story about a time when he went to a school. Uh, occasionally he would be asked by area schools in, in, kind of in his region to go, just go do a little presentation on what Christianity is. This is interesting. And students, high school students, could ask questions and even challenge Dick Lucas, this, this pastor, uh, on, what, on some of the tenets of Christianity. Uh, but one time, Lucas was asked to go to a school uh, for the physically handicapped. So all of these students were very mentally capable, sharp, but very severely, some of them, physically handicapped. And he went to this, this school, and this is, these are his words that he talked about. A direct quote from Dick Lucas. He says this, At the special needs school, I met an astonishing intellectual humility. I suppose if you've been carried around for your whole life, even into the bathroom, you've never been able to move yourself. I guess you learn a little bit of humility or something like it. Because while many of these students had big problems about the Christian faith and about suffering and of things of this nature, oh, how they wanted to learn how they asked questions, eager. They were, in a sense, like children. Teach us, tell us. Lucas continues, he says, I went back to the normal school, the the big school, the next day, and there was this big crowd of attractive, ordinary kids. And after my talk, a hand shot up, Sir, I can't believe that the Bible is a load of this and that and the other. Why did God do this? Why did God do that? You know the kind of questions. And as I looked out at these charming young people, I thought, yes, of course. Out of human nature comes the natural intellectual conceit. It's as normal as breathing, as normal as breathing. I only noticed this intellectual conceit, you see. I only noticed it after visiting the school with the, intellectual, with the intellectually humble. The ordinary people go out into the world, and if God can't explain himself, then they won't deign to become believers. They couldn't possibly enter God's kingdom unless he could show why he made such a mess of everything. You know the attitude. But the others, the intellectually humble, somehow had learned that everything that they knew had been taught to them. Helplessness means that everything you know has been taught to you. No child learns in a vacuum There's environment, there's circumstances, and most of all, there are people who are investing and teaching. No child who has anything has anything if it hasn't been given to them. Helplessness means that that learning is something that has been taught, and helplessness means that your having depends on your receiving. Do you see? I rattled off some ways that children, even small ones, can be selfish and brutish. (laughs) But a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, 
man, they'll, they'll, they can be so quick to tell you of beautiful moments with children too. And in some of the most fun moments with small children is giving gifts. There's a reason why grandparents take their kids, take their grandkids to get ice cream like every time, because it is a blast to give a small kid a gift. Uh, there's a reason my dad, um, to, to his grandkids, he's known as Pops. Every time we're together, he does a day called Donuts with Pops. And there's one rule, he says, there's one rule. It's get whatever donut you want. You can only get whatever one you want. That's the rule. And he loves it. Why? Because all the kids, all the grandkids giggle and squeal with glee. There's something in a small child that knows how to receive a gift. There's a reason why, grown, why people, even grown-ups, crowd around a child opening a Christmas gift or taking a first bite of birthday cake. It's the joy. We're waiting to see that joy, that, that lit-up face. And it's authentic. A small child hasn't learned yet how to fake being thankful for a gift they didn't really want. It's like the joy is real. Wholesome, free receptivity. That's what uh, one preacher has called this kind of receiving that small children have. Wholesome, free receptivity. Wholesome, it's authentic, it's real, it's genuine, free, it's easy, it's natural receiving of gifts. This is what we see in small children, and this is what Jesus is getting at. Part of what Jesus is getting at when he's talking about children and how they enter the kingdom of God. When, when I hear the term wholesome, free receptivity, it makes me think, man, t- sometimes I've done that with God. But I can think of so many times when I've approached him, I've had a different posture. I've had a posture that, that, of entitlement sometimes, of like earning. And, and sometimes I've avoided approaching God altogether because I, I've, got, I've got guilt or I've got shame about something. Wholesome free receptivity is something totally different. It's not entitled. It's not, um, it's not shameful. It's just, it's just receiving because my job is to receive. Now, uh, perhaps I, I, if, if you don't identify as a Christian or you don't consider yourself a religious person, um, maybe some, me saying when I approach God, sometimes I can be entitled or when I avoid approaching God, I can be riddled with shame. Maybe you're like, I'm not a religious person. I don't think about approaching God at all, right? Well, Maybe, but I would be very surprised if you were to tell me that your approach to life was never inhibited either by entitlement or by shame. The point is this, all of us have these twin enemies that, that, that wreck our ability to receive uh, either entitlement or shame. If I'm entitled, I earned it. How could I be joyful? It just strips the joy away because it's something I'm owed anyway. And if I'm shameful, I can't even approach to receive the gift in the first place. Uh, my oldest child, uh, Bella, she's not a child anymore, she's 17, um, and I, I remember vividly when she was three, I had, a, I had a work trip, I traveled internationally, and I was gone at that time, it was the longest I'd ever been away from my wife and kids. Um, I was gone for 10 days, and by the end of those, that 10 days, I'm on the plane, I'm jet-lagged, I'm worn out, I'm tired, I can't wait to see my family, right? I can't wait to see my kids. Land at O'Hare, get through all the like rigmarole, getting off an airplane, and out the, finally out those sliding doors into the real world, and there is my three-year-old Bella. She's 
standing kind of across the, the, the big terminal hallway, and almost immediately our eyes lock. And she sees me. There's not many people in the airport this time. It's great. She sees me, and she, start, she breaks out into a run or a wobble, whatever you call what three-year-olds do when they pick up speed. And she breaks into this wobble, and she shouts, Daddy, you found me. <laughs> of course she did. She had wholesome, free receptivity. Of course, in her three-year-old mind, when she had been separated from her dad for 10 days, of course she thought, well, it's because he's out looking for me. This is the posture of a child. This is the childlikeness that Jesus is referring to. Of course, Bella thought her dad was looking for her. He's dad. That's what he does. And I'm his daughter. He finds me. If we've been apart, he's been out looking. Now listen, there are two common interruptions to this wholesome, free receptivity of a child. Thinking too much of yourself or thinking too little of God's love. Thinking too much of yourself is a form of entitlement and it strips away the joy. Thinking too little of God's love places more value on your shame or on your guilt than it does on the power of God's love. Listen, God knows you. I I would love, how can I put this? I would love to be the hero of that story that I just told about Bella and me. Like I was really out looking for her for 10 days. But the fact is, the reality is, I was working and I was distracted and I was tired and I was doing other things and I wasn't looking for my daughter for 10 days, right? But the reality of God's story is he has been out looking for you, and he has actually found you, and he has gone out of his way, and he has sacrificed everything to get to you. And he is standing there, and he is just waiting for you to receive his good gift with wholesome, receptive, free receptivity. If you place too little value on God's love, then you're not recognizing who he really is. He has bent the arc of history so that he can know you, so that you can know him. He knows everything about you. There's nothing surprising. There's no dark thing that you don't want to tell other people that you don't even like to think about yourself, about yourself. God knows it already. He knows you to the depths. He loves you to the skies. Don't think too much of yourself and be entitled and strip the joy away from receiving what God is offering to you. And don't think too little of God's love and avoid (laughs) receiving the gift altogether. You can't receive a gift arms crossed. You've got to be open-handed. This helplessness, this dependence. What does all of this have to do? Let's Let's go back to where we started, 2020. What does all of this have to do with the pain and the difficulties and the loss and the ambiguities of 2020? It's the better way. Childlikeness, this approach is better than anger, than than scolding, than finger pointing and blaming. It's better. It's the better way. It's the better posture. It's the posture that doesn't rely on the circumstances themselves. Do you see, like, I can approach God and receive what he has for me, these ultimate gifts, his, his actual presence in the moment. 
in his Holy Spirit. I can receive those things, and they are not dependent on the circumstances at all. There's, um, there's something, whenever we think about uh, 2020, that I wonder if we have if we've missed an opportunity to see something that God is doing here. Now, I don't mean to say that God has caused all of the pain and difficulty of 2020. I do mean to say that God uses pain and difficulty for his redemptive purposes. So hang with me here. Could it be that the challenges, the difficulties of 2020 haven't changed the fundamentals, that they've just revealed the fundamentals? Like, maybe actually, all these times you've felt helpless this year is actually revealing what's always been true. You're helpless, and you need God. You need something or someone outside of yourself. And, and you had all of these years before 2020 when things seemed like they were going pretty good, and you had your game plan for life, and it was more or less working out. Maybe all of that was just an illusion that was afforded by relative prosperity that we have in a city like Chicago. And maybe the fundamentals are actually that you were helpless. You know, many, many uh, commentators, observers, historians have looked at uh, the way the last few years we've had so much We've seen so much racial injustice captured on camera. And so many people have made this very astute observation. It's not that racial injustice is on the rise. No, no, no. It's just that now it's being revealed. Now we've got cameras everywhere. It's, we can say the same thing about 2020. It's not that you weren't helpless before. It's just that 2020 is revealing what's true. Jesus says, so approach as a small child, God, open-handed, a new posture, not finger-pointing, not finger-wagging, not middle-fingering, not, not crossing your fingers. It's something different altogether. Open-handed in receiving God's gracious posture toward you. It's radical. What does he do with the little children? He scoops them into his arms. What does that last verse that we read say? lays his hands on them, and blesses them. This posture from the Heavenly Father, from Jesus himself to his little children. What do you need? You, you may need a lot of things in 2020. The end of the year is a natural time of reflection. It's a natural time of looking forward, like dreaming, planning, New Year's resolutions, all of that stuff. You might need a budget plan. You might need a career plan. You might need a fitness plan. All of those things are legitimate needs. You might need to build up the courage to ask out the girl or dump the guy. All of those things are legit. But what you need more than anything is a childlike posture to your heavenly father. The one who is sitting there ready, who has been out there looking for you, who has found you and is, wants to give you gifts. You need childlikeness. You need wholesome, free receptivity. Now, this, this looks like prayer. This looks like going to him in prayer. Uh, this looks like confessing to him. There's a great um, definition of prayer. It's found in a catechism. There's a children's version of this catechism, and there's an adult version. The children's version says simply, prayer is pouring out your hearts to God. The adult version adds some some components, prayer is pouring out your heart to God in praise, in petition, in confession, and in thanksgiving. Let me, 
me recommend, let me suggest, let me, not, not recommend, that's not strong enough, let me exhort our church, Renewal Church, to run to God in 2021 as little children, to pray to him. Have you thought too much of yourself? Confess to God, tell him. Have you thought too little of his love? Confess it to God, tell him. And receive his good gifts. Receive what he has for you. Uh, Pray, uh, grow in prayer in 2021. Grow in your time with your Heavenly Father. Loop somebody else in that's in your life and pray with them more regularly. Do it together in community. Uh, Pray in a way that's, that's more than those kind of superficial or rote prayers that we kind of get in a pattern of doing, well, I'm supposed to pray every day, and so God help me with my day. I asked that I would get the job. I asked that this would go okay, keep me safe. You know, these like kind of, they're fine, but grow in depth in prayer this year. Run to your Father. Pray the scriptures. Use the Psalms as a way to enrich and deepen your communication with the good Father who is eager to give good gifts. There's much, much more to say on all of this. But let me, let me conclude with my own exhortation. Let's run to the Father together right now. And let me pray a prayer of blessing over us using this scripture so that my prayer is not thin and superficial. Can I... In my house, we, we watch, we, are, we participate in the church service every Sunday, and it's great. And I confess to you that often when it comes to prayer time, when somebody's saying a prayer on the screen, that's like the bathroom break, or I turn to one of my kids and I say they should do something, or I ask a question, or I kind of zone out or something. I'm just saying all that out loud because maybe you're like me, and maybe you've done that same thing when it's praying and it's on the screen. This time, as I pray a prayer of blessing over us, will you pray with me? Let's run to the Father with a posture of children together. Lord Jesus, I ask that for the people of Renewal Church, for each of us, that you would give us the posture of children. Help us to be able to freely receive your good gifts with joy, with wonder. May we find peace and wholehearted dependence on you. May we enter into your kingdom, into life that really is life. Take us us up into your arms and bless us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.